Um, hello everyone and welcome <laughs> to the 11th episode of DevOps Topics and yeah. today. And thank you for everyone that are here with us today. Hi everyone. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess like if it's a podcast, nobody really understands what we're doing. We're just looking around <laughs> and looking for nothing. Yeah, there's no one here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, today we are going to talk about FinOps. Financial Ops. Okay, fin for not as a fin, you know, the fishes fin, but fin for financial. Okay, so it's important if you're not aware of it. Okay, good. Um, so, Omer, the surprising yes. question each time we talk about FinOps. So, except for thinking about the fishes. I wonder what's going on. Yeah, so except for thinking about the fishes fin now, because I, you know, implanted this idea in your head. So except from thinking about... All that. I'm thinking about is Finn Shelby. That's all I can <laughs> okay. think of. Yeah. So what's the first thing, what's the first Finn <laughs> that comes up to your mind when you think about DevOps and FinOps? Okay, what's the first thing? Go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the, the really first thing, the first connotation would be uh, the FinOps Foundation. Because FinOps is this... Uh, like DevOps, it's a cultural thing and thing like a system we need to think about and develop. Sometimes it's a title of someone in the organization. But the first thing I'm thinking of, like um, intuitively, that would be the FinOps Foundation, which is um, just a foundation. I think it's kind of like the CNCF. You can kind of compare the two. But this is all around like everything FinOps, what it is, what's the culture, promoting the culture, promoting tools that uh, are surrounding it, promoting how can you not certifications and like making things more uh, institutional? Let's uh, let's say it like that. Um, so basically, FinOps at the base, like we said, it's a kind of a culture. It's the culture of um, being informed of how much you spend in the cloud, knowing how to handle it, uh, knowing how to prepare for it, structure some kind of a system or put some kind of system in place for you to manage the costs. Uh, and that can include so many things I'm probably speaking. And as I'm speaking, I, I see you kind of thinking in the back of your mind and you probably have so much to say. And so, I mean, if you were to approach a company or just start a new role in the company and they'd say, you know what, don't work on infra. All we need from you, like we're in a financial, I don't like to say recession because everyone uh, are using the term too much, but we're kind of in a financial downturn lately. So companies are more often than not, uh, tend to handle their costs rather than building new uh, shiny infra or products or things like that. They focus a lot about um, cost reduction, cost utilization, however you want to frame it, and they start looking where they can save. And if you were to approach someone and they'd ask you, Mayor, take our build down, what are you going to do? You have something in your mind, first place you're going to rush into? Actually, first I'm going to go into their bill and see which services they're using. And according to that, I'll see, you know, the the ones that are cost the most and then start attacking those, you know, focusing on them. But I got to say, like, I didn't expect to get this kind of answer from you because you gave me, like, uh, not only the thing that comes up to your mind, but what's a FinOps culture and everything. So I just say in my own words... Like to me, FinOps is like saving money when I create infrastructure. That's it. You know, I didn't expect to get such a, you know, um, a deep and, uh, uh, I don't know, full answer. So thank you for that because it will be easy for me to write down the subject for this one. Because uh, that's also like what's FinOps and culture, right? So 
So I need, I need to I need to throw back a rebound question <laughs> because what you said that's the core of it. Of course, you uh, at what you do, you're very much aware. You know what you're doing. You know how to build info. You know how to save money. You know how to I don't know pick the best uh, utilize resource for a specific task. What happens when you're working in a larger organization and then you have a team and then you have developers and those developers have managers and that manager wants to set up something for his um, POC for just a five, five minutes in the cloud. That's it. I'm just running a script. It's nothing. It's nothing. <laughs> you know those? Um, and you have the developers on the other hand are building. Sometimes they're building stuff around their application. I just need a small SQSQ. It's just a little instance. That's mm -hmm. all. Um, you know those. So when you don't have a system in place, it's hard. So that's my question, basically. What do you do? How do you structure for that? Do you limit them? Do you help them? Do you put something in place? How do you it really it? depends on the use case because usually I work with small companies, you know, not like enterprise grade companies. Um, usually I just ask guys, what do you want to do? And according to that, we're starting to, you know, uh, design the infrastructure and think of what's best when it comes to utilization and costs, you know, but most of the time, uh, when, I don't know, when customers tell me, can you please assist with lowering, lowering down our bill or even when I work right now, uh, we just go to the costs. We look at what costs the most and attack that and see if something is off. And sometimes you also get those notifications from some cloud providers such as, I don't know if I can call cloud resellers like Do It International. So they can tell you, mm -hmm. listen, uh, we saw an anomaly in your uh, AWS account. And CloudWatch is costing you tons, you know, way, way, way more. And suddenly you realize that some developer left the, uh, you know, debug trace flag on, on for one of the services. And then your CloudWatch logs are like $100 per day just because of a single application. So, mm -hmm. you know, it really depends on how I want to attack it. If it's like, uh, remember we talked about preventive or... Uh, you know, like be before something happens or after something happens. Yes. So I yeah. think it also FinOps is like that. So do you want to prevent it or attack it afterwards? You know? Uh, yeah. So because you brought up a company's name, I have to bring up <laughs> Zesty, which uh, are operating in the same field, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, uh, but I won't bring up Zesty as a product of its own. It's just a name for something that uh, companies can do. So as part of your FinOps system, you don't probably... Uh, most companies don't call it a FinOps system. They just call it saving mm -hmm. money. Okay, FinOps is just a, a this nice um, you know new buzzword. But saving money on AWS, for example, one of the best things uh, you can do for yourself is reservations. You can, uh, and I'm saying reservations. If you're not familiar with the term, it's basically committing to a certain period of time that you're going to use a certain resource, and then you get a large discount because you've committed. So maybe you paid up, there are all kinds of schemes. Maybe you paid it all, paid it all sorry, upfront. Maybe you're paying in chunks every month. Maybe you're paying as you go, but there are certain schemes, but as long as you're committed to a year or three years on Amazon, it's probably, it probably differs on other cloud providers. Um, you can save a lot of money. And probably if you're using a lot of EC2s, like most companies do, uh, maybe RDS clusters or instances, Elastic Cache, every kind of uh, long running resource that can be, uh, provisioned and committed on, it's probably wise to plan yourself accordingly. Just another way of um, treating things. Now, you mentioned something actually very important. You mentioned the bill itself. And uh, I don't know if that's the intuitive way of 
I'm spending a lot of money, let's go see the bill, because that's usually what people do with everything, mm-hmm. not just their uh, cloud resources. But it's very, very important, especially on Amazon, because the cloud bill is actually where you'll see the entire thing running and not running, actually, but the entire description of what's going on with my costs, because that would let you open kind of um, collapse little areas and you can see them filtered by region and you can see them filtered by um, a certain service and then a certain action. And it's really helpful to understand what's going on, where you're losing money. And I think people most often are focusing on the big money, right? I'm focusing on the thousands of dollars. I'm focusing on the on the huge, huge services that I use, which is not bad. It's very much good, but there are lots of uh, we call them unused resources that you've probably lost around. Probably instances are lying in regions you don't use. Uh, maybe you have some kind of workloads that someone set up just for testing and they tell you, no, I stopped the instance, I stopped it. But then you have EBS snapshots lying around that you pay for, maybe elastic IPs, all kinds of resources that you may be paying if you're not using them. Uh, we won't get into details of each and every one. It's just probably wise to run some kind of scanner I don't think you need to build it on your own. Uh, maybe we can add in the description. There are tons of open source tools, mainly geared towards specific uh, technologies. When I'm saying that, I mean, for example, there is one scanner that you can attach to your Terraform pull request. Okay. Whenever you have a pull request that um, is going to be merged into Terraform, preferably only then it's going to run and deploy to production. You can see the actual build that's going to cost, uh, not the build, I'm sorry, the uh, the actual cost, the resource you're going to provision or delete is going to cost you uh, further down the line. So that's one thing. Another thing is an operator you can install, I think KubeCost and there are other open source ones. You can install things into your Kubernetes cluster, even if they're um, uh, multi-cloud, multi-region, wherever you run, you can get a summary or a management on top of your cluster. Um, something that I do, you know how in companies, I don't know if you do it, do you have some kind of uh, way to present metrics to developers? like actual graph of CPU, memory, what's going on in the cluster. Yeah. So cool. We use Grafana, I guess uh, a lot of companies do. And in addition to those services, I have not a FinOps dashboard, but a cost dashboard that rises and it shows you how much we pay this month. You have this rising graph and it's filtered by services and we have a daily graph of cost. And that's just one of the dashboards. And sometimes that's presented on the screen on the company. Um, So that's what we do. And that keeps us a little bit aware to what's going on. Um, that's it. I think we can discuss uh, more tools, but I think the most important part of it is just being aware that it's there. Of course, you're aware you're paying for it. But as a developer and as an engineer, you're not always you don't always understand what's going on. You don't always even me. I'm sometimes really surprised by what's going on in the bill. I don't know. So I find myself going to the bill, like you mentioned, and then I go to the Cost Explorer, by the way, that on AWS is a super powerful tool. Cost Explorer is this um, interactive console part of the AWS console that lets you fine grain services that you use, what you're paying for, why are you paying for them? You can filter by service, by region, by action, by whatever you want. So that's uh, very useful as well. Um, what are you thinking? Any other uh, tips? I just want to do like a focus on, I don't know, uh, cool uh, things that happen to you when it comes to FinOps. So I'll give three examples of mine and then you give three examples of yours or maybe less, okay? <laughs> cool, cool wouldn't be the yeah. best word cool, to describe. Cool is for paying yeah. money for nothing. That's cool. Okay. 
Cool yeah. is for pain. Pa- pa- pain, pain, and paying. Um, okay, so three points yeah. that I can wait, I can't say, think of, but three things that happened to me when it comes to FinOps, and I was sad about it. Okay, first one, as I told you, CloudWatch. Okay, you forget this debug tracing, whatever, and then suddenly you realize your pay, your bill is getting crazy. Okay, second thing, you won't believe mm-hmm. me. Um, Transit Gateway, you know, we're all in AWS, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. you you just pay for nothing if you have a VPC attachment. Like if you don't really use that VPC and you attach it to a t- Transit Gateway, you pay for that attachment each month. And if you don't really use it, so why would you just attach a VPC? So it's not big money, but it's a waste. Okay, it's it's for nothing. Okay, so that's the mm-hmm. second, second mm-hmm. thing that I can think of that happened to me, you know, recently. And the third one is... You know those uh, S3 rules where you, you know, the lifecycle policy rules where you move stuff to deep archive, you know, uh, and so yeah, yeah, those, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this Great is crazy, point. okay? <laughs> so suddenly you can get like a $500 bill because you moved terabytes or gigabytes of uh, data from standard storage to deep archive. And if you, if mm-hmm. you knew it's going to, if you know it's going to happen, that, then that's fine. You know, if it, that's on your schedule, you know it's going to happen, that's okay. But if it's a sudden move and you suddenly see that $500 or $1,000 just for moving stuff, then you need to think. Wait, that was just for moving yeah, stuff between peers? Yeah, because if you move tons of data, you know, like 20 terabytes or something like that from, you know, standard storage to deep okay. archive. And, you know, actually what you pay for, you pay for the, the requests. So the put. And they tell you, you know, uh, it's exactly like the intelligent tiering. You know, they tell you if you use too many, you know, tons of requests and you do the, this move, it's going to cost you tons of money. You know, so you need to think how to so when do I, that. I, right. I actually I don't think I know that. So if I have a bucket with 100 files and if I want to move that bucket to yeah. a lower tier, that would actually mean running 100 times put requests. 100 times, yeah. Now you're thinking, let's, say, let's talk about 100,000. Okay, think about, you know, like... Yeah. I think it was something like half a million objects or something like that, or even more. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when you're talking those numbers, so yeah, it's going to cost you because it costs like per put request, you know, there's like this uh, data transfer costs. My professional response to that is <laughs> shit. So you need, I'm just saying it's okay <laughs> if it happens because eventually, okay, so this month it costs you maybe $500, but in the following months it's going to cost you way, way, way less because the storage itself is going to cost you Maybe, you know, yeah. 25%, yeah. Um, you know, like a 75% discount or something like that. So that's okay as long as you can predict it. So I'm also okay, you know, I'm just bringing up another topic that I'm okay with having a large bill if I know that it's going to happen. I just don't like paying for stuff that I'm not aware of, you know, that I'm like, whoa, why am I paying for that, you know? You bring something to my mind. We talked about reservations mm-hmm. a minute ago. And... Most of the times, people just reserve things. They plan for a year or three years, or, or depending on the on the uh, period. And then, let's say they committed to the uh, the middle scheme where you pay a lot of upfront in a big chunk, and then you start paying every first of the every month. And we were at the first time we did that, we paid a huge chunk, which we expected, and then we started getting these huge bills on the on the first day of every month. And our expectancy to the end of the month was huge. It was like we're going to pay ten thousands of dollars instead of paying for like nine hundred. I'm just obviously changing the numbers, but we're saying, "What the fuck? What's going on?" And um, 
And that's part of it. You need to be aware. You need to be able to predict because if you chose a certain scheme, be able to financially plan it ahead. And when I'm saying that, you don't have to be uh, like, you don't have to have a finance background. All that said, some companies, if you're large enough, I, I mean, FinOps is a title these days. There's literally either a FinOps group or a FinOps person. That's what they do, a FinOps engineer, and they handle the FinOps aspects of the cloud. Wait, wait, wait. Um, I want to ask you about the commitment, okay? So yeah, like, it's hard to commit, okay? Yeah. So I have my own yeah. theory. I'm not going to say it until you say yours, okay? So there are development, um, you know, development resources and there are production resources. You know, mm -hmm. we can divide them, you know, mm -hmm. prod and non-prod, right? Now my question to you is, do you commit, like, to which ones do you commit? Maybe you, you commit to both, or maybe you commit only to development, or you commit only to production. I want to know, like, what's your strategy when it comes to committing to resources for the, um, development resources and non-development resources, you know, production resources? Okay, so what you're doing now is throwing uh, two curveballs. I'll, I'll say why. First of all, uh, in, in terms of, uh, before going to the product, um, you said something really smart. Are you doing it for production? Are you doing it uh, for staging? And that brought to my mind the importance of tags in every resource you put up. And tags are good for scanning the environment, understanding what belongs to what, but it's also good for financial management because if you tag everything, not only by environments, but also by product, and a lot of times you won't understand it, but the CTO will suddenly come and ask you to set, to, will ask you, how much, if we onboard a new uh, customer, how much does it cost? How much do we pay for this product? How much do we pay for the back end of that project? Uh, product, sorry. And you have no idea. But if you put tags in place, just because that's the common practice, and you go to this uh, cost explorer on, on AWS or any other platform, uh, you launch it and you filter by tags, you can actually say what's costing you per day, per hour, I think hour, there's also like uh, cost allocation tags, something like that in AWS. I don't know why it comes up to my... You remember those? Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. don't remember exactly, but yeah, sounds very familiar. So tags are very important. Uh, back to your... Uh, the core part of your question, we do it for everything because that's what Zesty does. That's the product. We can commit over everything and we uh, we can actually, we don't do it on 100%, but it's it will be 90 and up. And we can commit to this because if uh, we decide we don't want to use them, we have what, I mean, we have solutions for resources that are unutilized. We can take the commitments and handle So I need your uh, consultant brain right now, not your uh, Zesty mind, okay? So yeah. when you go to a yeah. startup, and they tell you, listen, we get these workloads in development and these load workloads in production. Remind you, it's a startup. You don't know how they're going to grow and when a new customer is right. going to arrive, right? So how would you right. commit to that? How would you commit to resources for that? Like, would you buy the savings plan and say, let's take it, uh, you know, 50% from what you have now and let's, and you know, and when the time comes, maybe we can increase that. Or would you initially say, let's commit to 70% of what you have now you know, do you have a strategy for that? Uh, I can't say I do. Honestly, I can't because it very much depends on so many variables. And every time as a consultant, what I had to do is sit with the CTO or the VP R&D and we had to guess. It's always based on guesstimations, <laughs> guesstimations. that you make according to your infrastructure. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't be different between production and staging because as long as you keep the infra in place, it doesn't really matter. So correct, using staging is not something that's as long living as production and you may change it and you may be uh, playing games with it, but staging 
I think often is very much like production and it's going to live as long as production lives because you need it, it's there. Uh, they come together. So I think most of my reservations would be to both um, and it would be to the core services. So I would kind of assume what kind of compute resource we're going to use and put that in place. There are all kinds of additional variables with reservations like um, you can buy co convertible RIs where they, you uh, save a little less, but you have the flexibility of uh, later on changing the family you use. Maybe Amazon released a new type of instance. Maybe you want to change it I because your the flexibility, uh, business you know, the requirements. Savings plan for compute and stuff. So you don't really have to commit to any anything specific because you don't really know what's going to happen. You know, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's the next variable. You have all kinds of way to uh, to play with it. There are too many to count them here, but another but, but, another but, topic. But, but, to me, Very, I do have yeah. a rule of thumb. So I don't mind committing for development okay. stuff. When I say development, I also include the staging. So let's say I don't mind uh, committing for my Kubernetes internal uh, cluster. I don't mind committing to my CICD runners workloads, like as long as I don't commit to full of them. So if my, let's say all my non-production workloads cost, let's say on average, all right, let's say they cost $10,000 per month. Okay, I hope not, but let's let's just say mm -hmm. that, okay? So I would commit for something like $6,000 per month for development, but, but, but for production, I feel less comfortable to commit because I don't know how the workload is going to grow or, or, or even shrink. Because if you get a new customer, you're going to get like, you know, tons of, uh, of their end customers and whatever, and then the bill is going to grow like hell. And then you want to commit to more and you have a steady, steady load and stuff. But, but it, it might also happen, especially in those times, you know, in, in nowadays that you will kill a product and then you committed, you know, upfront to a lot of money when you killed one of your products and then you don't really need this workload. So for production workloads, I feel less comfortable committing, you know, uh, unless it's like something like 20%, 30% of them, but to development workloads, I, I can, you know, my guesstimations are better. You know, for production, I don't know how the product and sales are gonna, you know, kill a product or bring new customers. But for development workloads, I'm more aware of what's happening, you know, so I feel more comfortable committing to them. So that's my rule of thumb. I'm smiling because it's the complete opposite of what I'm thinking. And <laughs> Yay, it, made good. Me, it made me think now. Good, good. It, made me, it makes a lot of sense and it, yeah. I no, so I need you. Go so I need you to respond to that. So okay, so you hear my opinion. I want I want to fight with you now. So that's why we are here. We have two different opinions. I want to know why. No fight. We're here to learn. Oh, I'm here uh, to fight. I need to process that. It's very it's very interesting. <laughs> okay. okay, fine. Okay, we fight. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, it's it's very interesting. It's super interesting what you said, and and again, I think that's one of the things that uh, depends on the company you work for. Because if you're a company with many products, and one of them may fail, or one of them is looking like it's going to shoot up and going to take the entire company with it. Or maybe you work at a traditional company that have one product. If it's going well, it's going well. If it's right. not going well, we close the company. Then there's no point in doing that. But it is uh, very important to keep yourself aware to what's going on. So I think that's the essence of what you said. That's the core. It's understanding your company, the needs, the product, where it's going, where it's, uh, where it's wise to commit, regardless of whether that's staging or production. Although what you said makes a lot of sense to me, in, in specifically in my context. Um, so, so I think that's, that's a summary it. of what just happened. You know, make sure you are aware to the business before you commit to anything, because sometimes the product can just, you know, be 
growing and you don't really know it or shrinking and you don't really know it. So that's, be- that's the best thing to do before exactly. you commit exactly. to anything, you know. Exactly. And you can keep yourself aware with things we mentioned to begin with. Uh, dashboards of metrics of what's going on, presenting things to the developers that they're aware, maybe presenting uh, the costs in the pull requests, maybe putting the open source operator in Kubernetes or AWS or GCP uh, to show you daily metrics of what's going on as far as costs go. Okay. So, oh, well, we're about to finish. So it is now the the corner. I don't even know how to say it in English, but let's call it a corner because it's funny to, to completely <laughs> translate it, you know, directly translate it from Hebrew <laughs> to English. So let's move to the corner, okay? <laughs> to the corner yeah, where yeah. we talk about cool experiences we had this week. I'll start with mine. It's super short, you know. Uh, two weeks ago it was, yeah, I built Wasm. You remember C++ Wasm with Conan? Wow, yeah, yeah. WebAssembly, exactly. So this week it was, yay, Mm -hmm. also for Android. Okay. (laughs) So yeah, so that's like, that's (laughs) like, woohoo, that just just happened. Okay. So yeah, now you. All right. Uh, For me, it's mostly tools and experiences, although they are kind of uh, intertwined. Uh, Cool tool. I learned from a very good engineer friend of mine who's probably listening right now. The tool is called Trivi. Trivi is a, it's an open source security scanner by Aqua, I think. Uh, super cool. Why I like this tool so much is, first of all, open source, you can run it locally without any API keys or anything whatsoever. It can scan images. It can scan, it can scan sorry, your AWS account, uh, depending on the service. It can uh, act, it can, first of all, scan Kubernetes op- um, clusters, but it can also operate as an operator installed in the cluster and reporting security issues. Um, tons of other uh, How do you spell like it? sub-scanners in the tool. Trivi, it's uh, T-R-I-V-Y. Okay. Okay. Right? Really cool. I suggest you go check it out. It can scan so many things and it's so easy to implement. So I started incorporating in our CI, uh, in our CI pipelines. Um, starting off by just containers, but I think we'll take it forward to anything else it can scan. So that's mine for this one. Okay. So that's, that's it. it for today. So thank you for listening. Thank you, Gamora. Thank you, everyone. Okay. Okay, Omer, see you next week, amigo. <laughs> and thanks to everyone in the crowd. Thank you, Mayor, for being here. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye.